welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Fantastic. My name's Tony, for those of you who may not know, and uh, I'm going to share the Word of God, and I'm looking forward to doing that, because last week I was away in Canberra. Friends of ours who are on eldership planted a church five years ago in Canberra. Can you believe it? Time has flown, and uh, they're doing really, really well, and they send their love as we sent our love to them last week, and so I really trust that uh, you'll be blessed as we continue our series this morning called The Deadly Seven. <laughs> I've listened to Pete's message and I've listened to Cesar's message and they never went, the deadly seven. (laughs) So they they obviously never got the memo because that's how you meant to say it. (laughs) Uh, You good? Excellent. We're going to talk about the deadly seven, which is obviously a a play on the seven deadly sins, uh, which is a list from church history compiled by Pope Gregory in 590 AD. And it just simply highlights seven problem areas that have caused people in every generation hurt and pain. And so we thought it'd be a good idea just to visit some of those things. The purpose of this series is about, get this, identifying the things that will kill, steal and destroy the promises and purposes of God for our lives. That's what this is all about. And Pete did a fantastic job of just laying the foundation that we serve a big yes God. I'm over Christianity that's just forever telling you what you can't do. And it's a big no. It's not the way God intended life to be. And it's not the way you should parent either. Parenting should not be no, 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 no. In the very beginning, and that's what Pete did, he took us back to the very beginning when God created the earth and he put man and he put a woman in the garden. It was a big yes, God. When Adam said, hey, can I, can, can, can I run, God? God said, yes. Can I climb that mountain? God said, yes. He said, can I, can I eat the fruit? Yes, you can eat the fruit. What about the vegetables? Can I eat the vegetables? Yes, you can eat the vegetables. Can I play with a lions and the tigers? God said, yes, you can play with the lions and the tigers. God, can I run around naked? Yes, you can run around naked. Hey God, can I climb that tree? Yes. Just be careful. (laughs) Don't want to do yourself a mischief. But it essentially was a big yes, God. I believe the Garden of Eden could have been called the Garden of Yes. God said yes to so many of the things that Adam wanted to do. Can I, can I name the, these, these animals? Yes. Can I call that one with a, with a long neck, a giraffe? Yes. What about the big fat one with the big ears? Elephant? Yes. There was just one no. Amongst all that yes, there was just one no. There was a tree in the middle of the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, that, that's the one no. The one thing I don't want you touching, the one thing I don't want you eating from, is the garden, is the tree in the middle of the garden. And it's an example to us that even as parents, we must have the occasional no. And that no was for their protection. 
And as parents, our no must be for the children's protection. The deadly seven sins are a list of things that can lead to death. You've got to catch this. They can quite literally kill you. These lists of these things that we're talking about have killed people quite literally. They can also result in the death of relationships, such as the death of a marriage, the death of your family. They can also result in the death of your dreams. Ask yourself today, are there people that you know that have no hope, that are full of depression, suicidal? You know, mental illness is on the rise. And all these things are a result of people not embracing God's plan to stay away from certain things. He's a big yes God and He loves us in a big way. And as a part of our protection, He said, stay away from certain things. People often ask me, if God's a God of love, why do bad things happen? I'll tell you why. It's real simple. Because we do not embrace His Word. We ignore God to our own peril. We do our own thing and then say, God, if you were there, why are all these bad things happening? Because you haven't listened to a word I said. That's why. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us can honestly say we've done everything God said? None of us can ultimately say that. This death of life or this loss of life, this death of a relationship, this death of a marriage, this death of a family, this this death of a dream was not God's intention for you, nor for anybody. And so we just uh, wanted to open this series up and talk about a few things to help us know what to stay away from and why. It's a series about the why behind the what. And today I'm going to be talking about lust. On Significant Sunday, we're going to be talking about lust. So what is lust? According to the dictionary, it's a very strong sexual desire. And I'm here to say that a very strong sexual desire is not altogether bad. In actual fact, I had a very strong sexual desire just last night. So it ain't all bad. In the right place, In the right place, which is marriage. In the right time, which is in private. It's a wonderful thing. You see, God, God did, is not surprised that men and women get together and have sexual intercourse. He's not surprised. He created that in the beginning. It was God's desire that a, a man and woman would come together and have sexual union. That was his plan in the beginning. But there is a time and there is a place. It's just like fire. Fire is a wonderful commodity in the right place. You put a fire, play, a fire in the right place, a fireplace in the home, and it's beautiful and it'll keep you warm during these cold winter nights. But outside of that fireplace, it can burn your house down and it can kill you. The very thing that brings you warmth and comfort can ultimately kill you. And that is the same for sex. It can be a blessing. It can be a comfort. And it can also kill you. And God doesn't want us to use his gifts to kill us. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25, 
It says that Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy pleasures of sin for a short time. In other words, there is pleasure in sin. If someone said to you, that, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing those things, there's no pleasure in it anyway. No, no, there are some pleasures in sin. In actual fact, there's a lot of pleasure in sin. The Bible just says it doesn't last. It doesn't last. And so that's what lust is. It's, it's a strong sexual desire. The problem with lust then is that it distorts. It deceives. And it ultimately destroys. In Romans chapter 1 verse 25 it says speaking of people in the world that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this God gave them over to their shameful lusts. In other words, people received the word of God and they chose to ignore it. They refused it. There are some that distort the truth of God's word and say, well, you know, what God was really trying to say. And we see that's what the devil tried to do with Jesus in Matthew 4 when he was trying to tempt him. He said, did God really say? Way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and fell, the word was, did God really say? And he's forever trying to distort the truth of God's word. And when the truth of God's word is distorted, it deceives us. And we end up believing the lie. We end up believing it's okay. It's okay not to have fire just in a fireplace. You can actually have it in your house. And we actually believe that's okay. And then ultimately it destroys. It destroys our family. And it it destroys our future. Here's some statistics, just to put it before you yet again. Some of these statistics with sexually active teens. Boys and girls who have sex are three times more likely to be depressed than their friends who are still virgins. See, these are statistics. These are things that can be proven. It's amazing if you put glasses on someone in a white coat... And they come up with a whole heap of nonsense. We tend to believe them. We talk about the missing link. Here's the bottom line. No matter what they say about the missing link, it's still missing. And don't let a white coat and glasses fool you. These are things that are actually measurable. I mean, is suicide on the rise? Is depression on the rise? Yes, yes, that's proven. Why? Is it because we're obeying God's word? Or is it because we're just doing our own thing? These are measurable. Girls who become sexually active are three times more likely to have attempted suicide than their virgin friends. Boys who became sexually active were seven times more likely to have attempted suicide as their virgin friends. Speaking about teen pregnancy for a little while, it says only 51% of teen mums have a high school diploma the number of those who didn't have a teen birth is closer to 89%. Parenthood is the leading cause of teen girls dropping out of school. Teen mums are extremely unlikely to go to college. Only about 2% of young teen mums ever get a higher education degree. 
Having a baby in your teens can also affect the baby, not just the mum. The daughters of teen mums are three times more likely to become teen mums themselves. Monkey see, monkey do. Sons are also affected. The sons of teen mums are twice as likely to become incarcerated. So look at married couples. Married couples that were sexually active before being married are more likely to divorce than those that wait. Married couples that abstain from sex before marriage report higher levels of sexual satisfaction than unmarried individuals with multiple sexual partners. And I could go on and on and on. I don't even have time to talk about the dangers of pornography and all those other things. But lust is a massive problem. It distorts, it deceives, and it does destroy. So having said all that, Let's flip this around and look about dealing with lust. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, having read that, I do not mean to be insensitive because I realize that in this room that there are people who have had an upbringing that is less than ideal. And for many of you, that's a massive understatement. I get that. I realize also that some of the people in your world have made the decisions that you make that little more difficult. I get that. I also understand that technology today has made it more difficult to abstain from certain things. I mean, if if I wanted to look at a naked woman by way of pictures, I would have to pluck up the courage as a young man and go to a newsagent and either ask to purchase a magazine with those sorts of images or try my best to steal one of those magazines. Now, you can go onto the internet, onto your phone, and at any time, even right here in church, you can be looking at stuff that's inappropriate. It's a lot more accessible today. I'm mindful of that. I'm sensitive to that. I also realise that today's society has made it that little bit more difficult because of the lower standards. But having said that, ultimately, your last is your responsibility. It is something that you must do something about. It's a choice that you have to make. The Bible says you've got to put it to death. In other words, you've got to kill it before it kills you. And it will kill you. It may not physically kill you, although for some it will. But it can kill your marriage, it can kill your relationships, it can kill your dreams. And so what can we do practically? Because I'm a practical kind of guy. In order for us to deal with lust and the sexual temptation that will come our way. Don't blame God. Don't blame the situation. Don't blame the society in which he's placed us. We were born for such a time as this. I'm glad to be alive with all the temptations that are going on. I'm glad to be alive today other than any other time in history. I'm so glad. And so what can we do? Number one, we need a revelation. You need a revelation about what I'm saying. It's not enough just to hear. You've got to really listen. 
You need a revelation because this is not just a good idea. This is a God idea. Revelation is seeing something from God's vantage point. In Proverbs 29 verse 18, it says, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. In other words, without a revelation, people don't do what they know they need to do. The reason many people make New Year's Eve's uh, resolutions and fail is because they don't first have a New Year's revelation. They say, how many of you on December 31st said, I'm going to lose weight this year? But it's not a revelation for you. You just know it's kind of like a good idea, it's something I'd like to do, but there's no conviction because there's no revelation. Yet someone can go to the doctor who's overweight and the doctor can say, you're going to die unless you change your eating habits and that can be a revelation that causes them to lose weight. Before they got in the gym, before they stopped eating the things they used to eat, they first had a revelation. Before you do anything, I'm asking you to have a revelation first. Otherwise, you're just going to get into more doing. And God didn't create human doings. He created human beings. He wants us to live and move and have our being in Him. Not just doing more. There's another thing I've got to do. That's exhausting. And even if you do something good for a period of time, if you don't have a revelation, it won't last. Many people's New Year's resolutions are well and truly broken by December 2nd. We can't sustain it without ongoing revelation. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be opened. Which means that we'd have ongoing wisdom and revelation. That we might know him better. And in knowing him better, it'll change us. We don't want Christianity to be, to be another list of what to do and what not to do. It's got to start with a revelation. My prayer for you is that you have a revelation. That if you don't get a handle on this, it'll kill you. If you don't get a handle on these seven areas of your life, they're going to kill you. Literally, they'll kill your dreams. They'll kill your family. They'll kill your health. They'll kill your marriage. Somewhere you are going to die. Something in your life is going to die. And it's my prayer that you have a revelation of that. Otherwise, we're going to just make some lifestyle adjustments and become a big pain in the neck. Have you ever met a reformed smoker that did it through hard work? They're just a pain to be around. Because every opportunity they get, they tell you how, how my strong will and my discipline caused me to stop smoking. It's like, man, dude, just give me a break. That's the trouble with the church. We're forever trying to put things on people. We're not here to do it. It's got to start with revelation. Secondly, repent. If you need to, when necessary, repent. In 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just. And he'll forgive us of our sins. Lord, I'm sorry for doing this. I'm sorry for doing that. Will you forgive me? And the God of the yes will say, yes. He won't say, No. There may be some consequences to your sin that you've got to walk out. But he will forgive you. And so repent. Thirdly, remove. You've got to remove yourself from situations. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a man by the name of Joseph. And he was a man of God and received a dream from God. And after that dream, things went really bad for him. Often is the case. And he found himself in a particular palace one day 
And with Pharaoh away, or sorry, Potiphar's wife comes to him and uh, she notices that this, this young lad is good looking, well built, and he's got a foreign accent, and that's really cute. And, and, and so while Hubby was away, Potiphar's wife comes to this young Hebrew boy by the name of Joseph and says, uh, come to bed with me. And Joseph said what every young single man should do. I'm not tired. When a person comes to you and wants to go to bed with you and you're not married to that person, tell them that you're not tired. <laughs> anyway, she was very persistent and she kept on day after day. And then one day, Joseph just ran away. He just ran, got the heck out of there. He removed himself from the situation. He removed the temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. It's something you've got to do. Didn't say blame the internet. Didn't say blame your parents. It says flee. Avoid situations that breed temptation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Tony, what is God's will for my life? To avoid sexual immorality. That's the God's will for your life, and it's God's will. For my life. So you've got to remove yourself. And so I would encourage all of our young unmarried couples to not be home alone with a person of the opposite sex. You say, no, 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 it's, you don't understand. Tony. We're Christians and we're just going to pray. That's produced many children, that thought. No, 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 you don't understand. We're going to hold hands. And we're just going to pray. It might start as praying. But it's always going to end in something else. And if you can, hold hands and pray for long periods of time when no one else is around. I dare say you'd be useless to the things of God because you'd be dead. And so we've got to remove ourselves. When it comes to having computers in the home, have them in a place that mum and dad can walk in on any time. No computers in the bedroom. Otherwise the temptation just gets too great. No one ultimately just slept with somebody. And there was nothing leading up to it. And so I want to say, remove yourself from certain situations and remove yourself from situations that breed temptation. Even then, it's hard enough. But without doing that, it's impossible. Fourthly, replace. So you've got to replace your thoughts and your attitudes and your actions with the opposite spirit. You've got to replace it. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Do not be drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, you, you can't expect to be filled with the Spirit of God and living the Christian life if you're getting drunk. If you're sleeping around, if you're looking at all the wrong things on the internet, if you're gossiping, if you're bitter, if you're critical, you can't have that and God. You've got to get rid of it and then replace it with being filled with the Spirit of God. You've got to replace the spirit of lust with the opposing spirit, which is the spirit of love. See, lust is all about me. I've got an urge. I've got an itch. But love thinks of the other person. For God so loved the world, he gave. We've got to replace it with something. We've got to replace it with our thoughts, with pure thoughts. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. The answer is not to not think about th- Porn. It doesn't say, if you want to overcome your lust, don't think about pornography. Don't think about pornography. Guess what you're going to think about? It doesn't say, don't think about that woman. Don't think about that guy. It doesn't say, don't think. It tells you what to think about. You've got to replace those negative thoughts. If you want to try and quit smoking, and say, I can't smoke, I can't smoke, I can't. You'll be smoking within a very short period of time. When, you, when you're thinking about you want to smoke, you think, I'm going to go for a run. It's really hard to smoke and run. Maybe not, I don't know. (laughs) Got to replace it with something. Don't just sit in your room and pray. Do something. Replace it with something. See, a lot of what we call prayer is not prayer. Father, help me to overcome my addiction to this and my addiction to that. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Focus on the bigness and the majesty and the beauty and the awesomeness of God. Father, I pray that you give me strength to put up with that person. I can't stand that person in the natural, but I pray that you give me strength to be able to handle that person. Now, that's not prayer. Prayer prayer that replaces those thoughts. says, Father, I want to thank you that you first loved me, that you're so kind to me. You're so amazing. I don't deserve to have you in my world, and yet you continue to lavish your love upon me. I thank you, dear God, that you are not like me, that you continue to lavish your, lavish your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. I love you, Lord. But if we just keep talking about the problem, we'll never get over the problem. We need to change our attitude, our thoughts, and our actions. Actions that show respect. Got to replace our actions. Can I just say this to the men? Watch your physical contact. Uh, contact. They say that a hug that goes for a period of time longer than just a quick hug, psychologically for the woman, builds that woman toward you. And they start to place their trust in you. Which in and of itself is not bad. But there's too many that are having young girls place their trust in them only to abuse that trust. And so what I don't want to do in this church is say, okay, we can only do the side hug and it can only be for one second. 
That's not going to go well with anybody. But I would say, watch your contact. Because there are hugs and then there are hugs. There's a look and then there's a look. And we've got to be careful. Our actions have to change. We have to have actions that respect one another. So I just want to show my love for her. You really want to show your love for someone? Why don't I just open the door for somebody? That, that would be one way of showing a young girl that you appreciate her and respect her. How about you just let them in the line first and get served before you? You don't have to give her a long cuddle. Just to show that you love and respect her. And for the girls, don't let a guy hug you unless you plan on trusting him. So you've got to replace. You've got to rebuild. It's never too late to build strong, healthy relationships. No matter what your past experience. I know some of you are thinking, oh, that's all right if I'd known this earlier, but what about me now? It's never too late. That's what makes the gospel the good news. It's never too late. No matter what you've experienced, no matter what you've done, the great news is that you're not an animal. Pete mentioned last week, which gives me license to mention it again, that you're not a dog on heat. There's nothing more painful than watching a dog on heat. It's just, it doesn't, it, you know, there's, just, there's zero control. They just lock in and just go for it. They don't care who's watching. They don't even care what it is. If it's a dog, great. If it's a lamppost, fine. If it's somebody's leg, all good and well. But you're not a dog. You're not an animal. It always saddens me that the homosexual community would justify their lifestyle because do you know that in the animal kingdom there are lots of animals that have homosexual relationships? And I think what a sad day that we have compared ourselves to animals. The Bible says that in the beginning he created all the animals but then he left the pinnacle of all his creation to the sixth day. And it was on the sixth day that he created the apple of his eye. He created humanity. We're not part of the animal kingdom. You're not an animal. You have self-control. You have will. You have a soul. And with God's help and with God's grace and with God's power, you can overcome. That's the good news. You can break addictions. You can break cycles. You can break patterns. That's the power of the gospel. And so maybe you came from a lineage where there's been teenage motherhood and maybe there's been a whole heap of drugs and a whole heap of this and a whole heap of that in your life and it can stop with you. I thank God that my dad met Christ and as a result of meeting Christ, things changed. I often go on about my dad and maybe some of you I've 
gone on at nauseam. And just to say he's an incredible man, he's been an incredible dad, an incredible leader. But here's the amazing thing about my dad. He never had a great dad. So when did that, when did that start? It started with the power of the blood of Christ. It started when he realized that he's not an animal, that he has a soul, that he has a spirit, that he has a will, that he has a God who loves him and knows him and has called him by name. And he surrendered his life to this God, age 38. And for the last 39 years, he's been serving him and brought us up in the ways of God. And there is something in our family that was broken as a result of the power of the blood of Christ. And the power of that decision-making process. And so it's never too late to rebuild. And when I think about the incredible advantage I have had growing up in a Christian home, alongside two brothers that are in this church, because one man made a decision to follow Christ. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter what you've been up to or involved in. If you're serious about getting this right, you can, but only with God's help. My last point is simply to repeat to all of the above every day of your life. There's no magical cure here. There's no wand here. Someone asked me just this week, what's to stop you becoming a cult? The answer to that question is stay in Jesus every day of my life. That's all we've got. All of us can go off the track. All of us can lose what we presently have unless we repeat these things on a daily basis. The Bible calls it dying daily. We bring our will to the will of God and we die. And we bring our lusts and our thoughts and our insecurities and our hurt and our pain and we just bring it to God. Not once, not twice, but every day. And we live in what the Bible calls in the power of His Spirit. That's the Spirit-filled life. Don't be drunk on wine. Don't be bitter and twisted. Don't lust after this person. Don't hold on to a young girl that you're not married to for too long. Don't do all those things, but instead be filled with your spirit. Yield your will to the will of God. In concluding, God loves you. He has a plan for you. He wants the best for you. So don't let God, or sorry, don't let Circumstances or situations rob you of God's best for your life. You know, let's just stand for a moment as the band comes. I hope many things have happened this morning in your hearts. But the overarching thought I want you to really take a hold of is that God loves you and He's a God of a big yes. And every no that he has is for your protection I mean come on would you hold it against me as a parent if I told our kids that they cannot play with the hot plate they cannot put it up to the 
highest heat and put their hand on the hot plate. If, if I just jumped in as a father and said, no, stop it. Would anyone hold that against me? Would you? My next question then would be, what would motivate me to want to do that? Because I'm trying to spoil their fun? Or because I love them and want to protect them from getting hurt? I don't know what you've heard about Christianity. I don't know what you've seen, but I can imagine there's a lot of weird stuff out there. And I want to stand before you. If you're confused about God and Christianity because of what you've seen, what you've experienced, and what you've heard, on behalf of the church, I want to apologize to you. Because there's a lot of stuff that's done in God's name and it's got nothing to do with Him. There's a lot of stuff that's done in the name of the Holy Spirit and it's got nothing to do with the precious Holy Spirit. But for us to throw the baby out with the bathwater is for us to miss out on so much. Because of the extremes and the excesses, it's not enough just to throw God out. I know that you're a thinking people. And what we're meant to do with a message like this is think about it. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.